Welcome, my friends, welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 12th day of July, 2009. I'd like to welcome back all my regular listeners to the podcast and welcome any new listeners who may be tuning in for the first time, and I encourage everyone to check out the websites, corbettreport.com and alqaedadoesntexist.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos created and conducted by The Corbett Report in the past. Also today, I'd like to let my listeners know that The Corbett Report podcast will be going on summer hiatus as of this week. The website will be updated infrequently, if at all, during that time period, but we will be coming back in mid to late August with some very exciting new projects, so I urge my listeners to keep an eye on the website in August. And now, without further ado, let's get to today's real news. Today's first real news story comes from The Corbett Report, 10th of July 2009. Worldwide wiretap. Recent cyber attacks provide pretext for sweeping new internet snooping powers by the government. Last Friday, while most Americans were preparing for a weekend of fireworks and hot dogs, the Obama administration had an ominous message. They are going ahead with a Bush-era plan to allow the NSA even more power to invade intercept and analyze the data of anyone visiting a government website, ostensibly to help prevent a major cyber attack. The timing of the announcement, the day before a holiday long weekend, seemed unusual, but less than 24 hours later, just such an attack began to unfold on a series of websites in America and South Korea, including those of the White House, Pentagon, New York Stock Exchange, Treasury Department, Secret Service, and Washington Post, amongst others. The attack itself turns out to have been fairly innocuous, a run-of-the-mill DDoS, Distributed Denial of Service, attack that did not even employ the latest malware, but you wouldn't know that from reading the sensational reporting in the controlled corporate media. The VOA reports that the Internet attackers have struck again. U.S. State Department under cyber attack for fourth day, blurs a headline from the AFP. Blame for the attack is now falling on North Korea, but what North Korea has to gain by taking down the Washington Post's website is anybody's guess. Perhaps Kim Jong-il was giving his own pronouncement on the recent revelation that the Post was selling access to high-level politicians to lobbyists for $250,000 a pop. The big winner in the attack, it seems, is the federal government, which has been preparing to unveil an internet surveillance spy grid for years, but have virtually no mandate to do so from a public that has become tired of invasive government snooping. Various government stooges have been trying to drum up security for their Orwellian police state fantasy for years by warning of the coming cybergeddon at the hands of cyber terrorists. In 2003, former National Security Agency Director Mike McConnell was going on international fear-mongering trips, warning of attacks equivalent to the attack on the World Trade Center in New York unless a new agency were created to deal with the threat. The Cyber 9-11 meme has carried on ever since, 
with hysterical coverage of Chinese cyber warriors and teenage hackers attempting to rally the public into supporting a new front in the war on terror, cyberspace. Today's second real news story comes from Zero Hedge, July 7th, 2009. Manipulation? We have talked extensively on our blog and in our white papers about the power of high-frequency trading and program trading. We have noted that these trading strategies can move the market quickly during the trading day. We have always suspected that there have been certain players that can dominate this space. Now comes the case of the stolen proprietary trading code from Goldman Sachs. Most interesting in this Bloomberg article is the following statement by Assistant U.S. Attorney Joseph Facciaponti. The bank has raised the possibility that there is a danger that somebody who knew how to use the program could use it to manipulate markets in unfair ways, Facciaponti said. Is this an admission by Goldman Sachs that there is the possibility of manipulation in the market? Does anyone think that this is the only program in the world that can manipulate markets? With all the programmers in the world, we can only imagine how many more manipulative programs are out there. Now, here is the best part, according to the assistant U.S. attorney. The proprietary code lets the firm do sophisticated, high-speed, and high-volume trades on various stock and commodities markets, prosecutors said in court papers. The trades generate many millions of dollars each year. Today's third real news story comes from RTE News, 7th of July, 2009. Pope calls for world political authority. Pope Benedict XVI has called for a world political authority to manage the global economy and for more government regulation of national economies. The Pope's call for a rethink of the way the world economy is run came in a new encyclical which touches on a number of social issues, but whose main connecting thread is how the current crisis has affected both rich and poor nations. Entitled Caritas in Veritate, Charity in Truth, parts of the encyclical appear likely to upset conservatives because of its underlying rejection of unbridled capitalism and unregulated market forces, which he says has led to thoroughly destructive abuse of the system. The Pope says every economic decision has a moral consequence and called for forms of redistribution of wealth overseen by governments to help those most affected by crisis. Today's final real news story comes from The Telegraph, 8th of July 2009. Human sperm created from stem cells in World First, claims British University. British scientists have created human sperm using stem cells in a medical first that could revolutionize fertility treatment, they claim. Researchers at the pioneering Northeast England Stem Cell Institute say they have made the breakthrough using stem cells from an embryo. They claim that with some minor changes, the sperm could theoretically fertilize an egg to create a child. Within 10 years, the scientists say the technique could also be used to allow infertile couples to have children that are genetically their own. It could even be possible to create sperm from female stem cells, they say, which would ultimately mean a woman having a baby without a man. Welcome to episode 94 of The Corbett Report. You are being sterilized.
Of course, long-term listeners of The Corbett Report will know by now that there is a sterilization agenda that is part of a much larger depopulation strategy that is based on a philosophy of eugenics. And so it is not surprising, although of course it is still disheartening, to hear this recent news story. This website here ties in with this. And it's from a religious website, but the facts are facts. It's a, a report on something that's happened. It's called lifesightnews.com. Peruvian government shelves investigation into massive forced sterilizations of indigenous women. This isn't the first time this has happened. It's still ongoing, by the way, in other parts of Latin America. And this article goes into who's behind it. And I've read the articles before from Kissinger when he brought out that, that bill and got it put through that the threat to the state was overpopulation. Everything went into effect then. I've gone into the big foundations, the parallel government, that really is the government that funds all the NGOs. Well, let's get back to this article by Matthew Killinan Hoffman, Latin American correspondent, Lima, June 19, 2009. Peru's government has decided to end its investigation against former health officials for thousands of forced sterilizations carried out during the late 1990s under President Alberto Fujimon. Human rights organizations have thoroughly documented evidence that women were physically coerced, threatened, tricked, and enticed with economic incentives during the implementation of the program, which sterilized a total of approximately 400,000 Peruvian women in just two years, between 1997 and 1998, with the help of, here it is, the United Nations Population Fund. That's the Bill Gates and the Rockefellers and all these boys, the big philanthropists again, you see. Almost half a million in that space, 1997, 1998. The coercive actions of program officials have been tied to pressure from the Peruvian government to meet preset sterilization quotas. Preset sterilization quotas. Economic incentives offered to desperately poor women have also been criticized as coercive and violating existing international standards for such programs. However, the provincial prosecutor in charge of human rights cases Jimmy Jose Swartz reportedly claims that there is insufficient evidence to charge the nation's health ministers and other program personnel for human rights abuses. The decision to shelve the case has sparked protests from pro-life organizations as well as human rights and feminist groups. I hope our government changes decisions, says Carlos Polo, head of the Population Research Institute's Latin American office in Peru, in an interview with LifeSite News. It says here, I've personally spoken with Victoria Vigo, one of the women sterilized who presented her testimony before the U.S. Congress when the Population Research Institute presented the evidence of all the abuses committed during the program, Polo said. Now it also has links on here to other ongoing sterilization programs by the United Nations and United States aid, U.S. aid, which supports forced sterilization across the world. And I'll put all these links up on my site at the end 
of the show. So look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and go through these links at the bottom of the page too. Maybe it will stir something inside of you. Personally, with the general population today, I doubt it. They're far too gone, most people. Too jaded. And getting back to what I said earlier, this can't be happening to me. I'm okay. Well, I certainly hope that Alan Watt is incorrect in his pessimism about people's interest in this issue. So in the spirit of informing others about this very serious depopulation strategy with a sterilization agenda, let's take a look at some of the evidence. First, for those who are concerned that that story about the Peruvian investigation into forced sterilizations came from a religious website, well, let's take a look at a non-religious website, an Italian news website called Zenit, zenit.org, which had this 2002 article about that Peruvian investigation into forced sterilizations. It ran under the headline, UN, US, and NGOs promoted forced sterilizations in Peru. Quote, The United Nations, the Clinton administration, and Peruvian and Japanese non-governmental organizations were responsible for thousands of forced sterilizations under the government of Alberto Fujimori. Peruvian parliamentarian Hector Chavez Chuchon told a congressional subcommittee how the United Nations, the U.S. Agency for International Development, and powerful NGOs financed the National Program for Family Planning. This program included the Voluntary Surgical Contraception Campaign, in which 300,000 women were sterilized, many of whom had not given their consent, the ACI press agency reported. The United Nations was aware of this policy. UN personnel worked in the health ministry, Chavez said in response to a question from subcommittee president Luis González Posada. Chavez, who worked as a doctor in one of Peru's poorest states during the Fujimori administration, was among the first to denounce the abuses of the National Program for Family Planning. End quote. This is not an isolated or an unusual incident. In the 1940s, Australian Nobel Prize-winning virologist and immunologist Sir McFarlane Burnett worked on chemical and biological weapons plans for the Australian government, motivated by a fear of the Asiatic hordes to the north of Australia who could sweep in and invade the country at any time. According to a documentary on ABC TV, Burnett advocated that the Australian government create biological or chemical weapons to specifically devastate food crops and spread infectious diseases in Asian countries in order to thin their populations. More recently, just last month on June 15, 2009, the Globe and Mail ran an article under the headline HIV-positive women in Africa sterilized, stigmatized, which has the subheadline, dozens of American women are fighting back after having been made infertile without their knowledge or consent because they are HIV positive. And the Brisbane Times in April of this year reported that girls aged 12 temporarily sterilized. Quote, Aboriginal girls as young as 12 have received long-lasting contraceptive implants, according to the Queensland opposition, which claims temporary sterilization tacitly approves of underage sex, but fails to prevent sexually transmitted infections. 
Jan Stuckey, the opposition spokeswoman on child safety, said at least four and possibly five adolescent girls had received the implant Implanon over the past two years in Wurubinda, central Queensland. Implanon is a small plastic rod inserted under upper arm skin. It contains a hormone which stops ovulation, lasts at least three years, and has a low failure rate compared with other contraceptives because users do not have to remember to take the pill. End quote. Of course, just as the Australian government is sterilizing Aboriginal girls, the American government likewise sterilized many thousands of Native American women during the Indian Health Service Reign of Terror from 1972 to 1976, and information about that can be garnered from an article by Charles England under the title A Look at the Indian Health Service Policy of Sterilization, 1972 to 1976. The Aka Heritage Foundation at aka.org, A-K-H-A.org, is drawing attention to the human rights abuses of the Akan people in Thailand, Laos, Myanmar, China, and Vietnam, including how the tetanus toxoid vaccine is used as an abortofacient and, in fact, induces immediate, spontaneous abortion within 24 hours of injection. And that is backed up on their website with articles from The Lancet about clinical trials of World Health Organization birth control vaccines, coupled with articles about Nigerians and the polio vaccine being used as an abortofacient. There's also an article from thinktwice.com under the headline, Are New Vaccines Laced with Birth Control Drugs?, which talks about how tetanus vaccines in Nicaragua, Mexico, and the Philippines had an additive human chorionic gondotrophin, which, when introduced with a tetanus toxoid carrier, causes the body to form antibodies to attack not only the tetanus, but the HCG, which is, of course, necessary and essential to maintaining a pregnancy. In other words, this provides the scientific explanation of how vaccines are used to induce abortions. And for an extremely well-researched and extremely well-documented dissection of various sterilization campaigns, including sterilizations in vaccines with links to patents for sterilization vaccines and much other documentation besides, I will direct you to the David Rothscum report on blogspot.com where he answers the question, is Procter & Gamble funding a mass sterilization campaign in the affirmative? And again, you can take a look at the documentation list for today's episode to find links to all of these documents. And I really do suggest that you do take a look at these documents because the findings are conclusive, overwhelming, and very disturbing. But... I do fear that Alan Watt is right in his pessimistic assessment of people's understanding of this information. I'm afraid that there are those out there who will never look into this information or the voluminous details of all these sterilization campaigns that have been waged around the world because they are afraid of what they will find when they start to look into this information. And I'm afraid there are also those out there who will connect the dots of all of these various sterilization campaigns And notice that the common factor is that the people affected by these various sterilization agents and these forced sterilizations tend not to be middle-class, affluent Caucasians of European descent. In other words, there are the disgusting racists out there who believe that eugenics and the eugenics agenda is not that bad because it doesn't affect them, 
or perhaps they even think it is a good thing. Well, even to those who are too apathetic to care about anything that does not directly affect them, or for those who are disgusting enough to actually wish the, the sterilizations of those who are not of their ethnicity, all I can say is, rest assured, this sterilization agenda includes you too. When you open up a can, you may not notice the lining inside, but believe it or not, that lining may contain a synthetic estrogen. That's right, a sex hormone, and it's in almost every single can we consume. As part of a Fox 5 investigation, we decided to have some of the cans of food you eat every day tested, and wait until you see the results. This could be your table any day of the week. A delicious plate of pasta topped with tomato sauce, some hearty soup, a tuna fish sandwich, a side of green peas. Food that millions of Americans consume daily. But wait until you see what could be inside your food. This is a chemical that the people who put it into plastic were insane. His name is Dr. Fred Vomsall. He's a professor of biology at the University of Missouri. You may not know his name, but you probably know his work. He recently created a huge uproar within the scientific community after releasing a study on plastic baby bottles and the controversial chemical many of these bottles are made with, called bisphenol A. This is a chemical that in 1936 was considered for use as a estrogen drug. Then in the 1950s, some tricky chemists found that they could link this chemical together and it creates a hard, clear, glass-like plastic. And this glass-like plastic is sprayed into cans we buy every day. The only problem with that is the plastic is then made from a sex hormone. And it's virtually in every can of food we consume. And according to Dr. Vomsall, Bisphenol A is a big problem because he says it leaches into the foods we eat. And when you heat this plastic or put tomato sauce in it, the acid degrades the plastic and then the food that's in there is full of this sex hormone. Dr. Vomsall says they have tested bisphenol A in animals and the results are disturbing. We started testing it at levels tens of thousands of times below what anybody had ever tested before and found that it profoundly damaged the male reproductive system. Now we know causes brain damage and it causes breast cancer and prostate cancer. So we decided to do our own tests of common foods we eat every day. We went to different grocery stores and purchased tomato sauces, soups, peas, tuna fish, as well as plastic containers and food wraps. We then sent them all to Dr. Van Saul's lab in Missouri for testing. The food was removed from the cans. The cans were all cleaned, washed multiple times with water, allowed to dry, and then we put ultra-pure water in the cans to determine how stable the lining of the can was when just faced with water being in contact with it for 24 hours. The results were concerning. Every single product here put out an amount of bisphenol A that would be in the danger zone. The highest levels measured in micrograms were found in cans of Hunt's tomato sauce, followed by Red Pack, Del Monte peas, 
the Starkist tuna, and the Rubbermaid plastic container. This is a chemical that can alter the way your cells function at below a trillionth of a gram, one million times lower than this. And he says if the research on animals doesn't concern you, this will. Dr. Vamsal says when he places bisphenol A leached water into a test tube with breast cancer cells, the cancer cells multiply rapidly. These amounts would massively stimulate these cells. Bisphenol A is big business here in the United States. It is estimated that the chemical companies produce 7 billion pounds of it a year, and it's making its way into our bodies. According to the CDC, 95% of Americans have detectable levels of bisphenol A in their urine. Dr. Vamsal says the worst thing anyone can do is microwave food in a plastic container covered in plastic wrap. Stop doing that immediately. The hotter a product becomes, the greater the amount of bisphenol A that will come out of it. We need to have a balanced uh, presentations about chemicals in the environment. Sharon Kinese is vice president of the American Chemistry Council, a trade organization that represents the chemical companies. She says bisphenol A is safe to use. Bisphenol A has been very heavily studied and it's been studied by um, many of the regulatory agencies around the world and consistently they have stated that for the current uses for that that bisphenol A is safe. The FDA tells us it is actively reviewing the safety of bisphenol A and in a statement adds considering all the evidence including the very low dietary exposure to BPA and the fact that bisphenol A has not demonstrated adverse effects when consumed by animals in amounts far higher than humans would consume. FDA sees no reason at this time to ban or otherwise restrict the uses now authorized. It has never been banned by any country around the world, and we're confident in its use. Dr. Vamsal says the FDA and other federal agencies are working with antiquated data. There are 700 published scientific studies about the health effects of bisphenol A that the FDA has never gotten around to looking at. We contacted the parent companies for the products we tested, and in individual statements, the companies reiterated that bisphenol A is used in their products because it has been deemed safe and it is approved by the FDA. Yes, bisphenol A is one of those substances that we've mentioned on the podcast a number of times in the past because it is an estrogen-mimicking compound that has been inserted into all of the plastics that we use for food containers, baby bottles, and the like, for decades now. Now, for more in-depth scientific analysis of the health effects of bisphenol A, I'll include a link to an interview with Dr. Frederick Vomsall of the University of Missouri, who talks about the various effects of bisphenol A, not only infertility and abnormalities in the male reproductive system as a result of consuming food that has been stored in bisphenol A-laced containers, but also the other health effects of bisphenol A, including chromosomal damage in pregnant mothers, leading to miscarriages, the connection between bisphenol A and obesity and early-onset diabetes, and, of course, the link between bisphenol A and breast cancer. Of course, bisphenol A is not the only toxic chemical additive in our environment that is causing fertility problems. 
On March 2nd, 2009, environmentalhealthnews.org released the following article, Sex Reversal in Fish Linked to Chemical Cocktail. Quote, Research using a powerful statistical model suggests that chemical mixes in wastewater feminize male fish. Scientists in the United Kingdom report that more than one type of hormonally active chemical, not just those that act like estrogen, play a role in sex reversal of male fish. Like estrogenic compounds, these other pollutants are also found downstream of wastewater treatment plants in rivers across the country. Male fish living in water contaminated with female hormones, or estrogen mimics, can become feminized, developing female sex characteristics and behaviors. Only compounds acting like the natural estrogen hormone estradiol were thought to cause this type of sex reversal in male fish. This study shows that is not the case, and affirms that male fish are also feminized by compounds that disrupt or possibly block the male sex hormones. These compounds are described as anti-androgens. This is one of the first studies to link anti-androgens alone, and in concert with estrogenic compounds, with fish feminization. Much prior research has focused on the ability of estrogenic compounds to increase estrogen hormone actions that can bypass male development and lead to female characteristics. Male fish turning into females is of concern for the fish and for fish populations, but it also has implications for humans. Reproductive problems, collectively called testicular dysgenesis syndrome, are on the rise in men living in industrialized countries. Low sperm quality, quantity, cancers, and infertility are some of the symptoms. In rats, similar types of abnormal male reproductive development is readily caused by exposure to anti-androgenic chemicals. Given the similarity in reproductive hormones and their functions across vertebrates, removing or reducing environmental contaminants linked to male abnormalities should be a high priority. End quote. Of course it should be, but of course it isn't, as the phony environmental movement that we've talked about in previous episodes of this podcast are fixated on reducing the levels of that life-giving gas, CO2, as a part of the phony environmental agenda, which is a false front, of course, for the creation of world government, world taxation, and, of course, a ruse to line the pockets of the rich and well-connected. Whereas serious environmental concerns, like the chemicals that are being pumped into our environment in all sorts of industrial processes, are not talked about, are not examined, and are not protested. Well, for more information about how chemicals are reducing fertility, I would of course recommend that people check into previous episodes of this podcast, including, of course, the Inbred Elite's Millionaire Plan, where we talked about the excellent CBC documentary from last year, The Disappearing Male. And again, I'll include a link to that in the documentation list for today's episode. Well, if all of that was not enough, there is yet another front on which we are suffering another all-out biological attack on our reproductive systems, and that is GMO foods. Of course, there have been numerous studies connecting GM foods to decreased fertility and, of course, developmental problems in some of the rats and other test animals that have been fed these GM monstrosities in feeding trials. 
One example of that was actually, laudably enough, covered by Greenpeace at greenpeace.org last year on the 11th of November 2008 under the title Austrian Report, Biological Effects of Transgenic Maze, NK603X Mon810. Quote, A study published today by the Austrian government identified serious health threats of genetically modified crops. In one of the very few long-term feeding studies ever conducted with GM crops, the fertility of mice fed with GM maize was found to be severely impaired, with fewer offspring being produced than by mice fed on natural crops. Considering the severity of the potential threat to human health and reproduction, Greenpeace is demanding a recall of all GM foods and crops from the market worldwide. End quote. And in that link, it contains a direct download of that Austrian study so that you can read the results for yourself. But suffice it to say, there is no doubt that GM crops that are already in our food supply are attacking our reproductive systems. There is no doubt that we are under biological attack and that this attack has long been planned out and carefully crafted by those in positions of power in the technocracy to understand the effects of what they're doing by inserting chemicals like bisphenol A into our food containers. And again, this is part of a long-term depopulation agenda, which we have outlined in numerous previous episodes of this podcast. But once again, I would encourage listeners to go back and listen to the Inbred Elites Millionaire Plan for a full description of that depopulation agenda and how it is being implemented. But there is perhaps an even scarier facet to all of this. Not that we are simply under attack and our fertility rates are declining at an alarming pace, but that we are being mentally, psychologically conditioned to not only accept this fact, but to desire it. Having affordable birth control is very important um, because it not only affects um, our health, our generation, it affects the next generation. It literally is the next generation. Um, and in our efforts to clean up the earth, to go green, um, to help reverse the damage that we're putting on the environment, um, controlling the population is definitely a large part of that and making people choose between fun items that they want to spend their money on and necessary items that really are necessary but you don't really think about them until you, you know, it's kind of too late or it's kind of last minute emergency. You shouldn't make people think about that kind of thing and choose because <laughs> the immediate is always going to win out. So, um, yeah, just make it something that everyone has access to. We're, we have programs trying to make healthcare in general, dental more accessible. Why not birth control? I, I think birth control is more important. It has way more of an impact on your life to have, have a child than have your teeth fall out. I mean, I don't want to trivialize it. Having your teeth fall out sucks. But um, I think birth control should be above dental. <laughs> That, of course, is just one YouTuber's opinion, but unfortunately, it represents a growing trend. 
we can start to pick up the details of this trend and how and why it is being disseminated and encouraged through various propaganda arms by turning to the Mail Online from the 21st of November 2007 under the headline, Meet the Women Who Won't Have Babies Because They're Not Eco-Friendly. Quote, Had Tony Vernelli gone ahead with her pregnancy ten years ago, she would know at first hand what it is like to cradle her own baby, to have a pair of innocent eyes gazing up at her with unconditional love, to feel a little hand slipping into hers, and a voice calling her mummy. But the very thought makes her shudder with horror. Because when Tony terminated her pregnancy, she did so in the firm belief she was helping to save the planet. Incredibly, so determined was she that the terrible mistake of pregnancy should never happen again, that she begged the doctor who performed the abortion to sterilize her at the same time. He refused, but Tony, who works for an environmental charity, relentlessly hunted down a doctor who would perform the irreversible surgery. Finally, eight years ago, Tony got her way. At the age of 27, this young woman, at the height of her reproductive years, was sterilized to protect the planet. Incredibly, instead of mourning the loss of a family that never was, her boyfriend, now husband, presented her with a congratulations card. While some might think it's strange to celebrate the reversal of nature and denial of motherhood, Tony relishes her decision with an almost religious zeal. Having children is selfish. It's all about maintaining your genetic line at the expense of the planet, says Tony, 35. Every person who is born uses more food, more water, more land, more fossil fuels, more trees, and produces more rubbish, more pollution, more greenhouse gases, and adds to the problem of overpopulation. While most parents view their children as the ultimate miracle of nature, Tony seems to see them as a sinister threat to the future. End quote. Unfortunately, as much as one would like to believe that that is just a single isolated incident given a suspiciously large amount of attention by a major newspaper in Britain, unfortunately that is not the end of that story, that meme, or that media propaganda. We can pick up this story again in a 2008 article from Prison Planet, Magazine Promotes Sterilization for Women in Their Twenties. Quote, a popular women's magazine in the UK recently featured an article entitled Young, Single, and Sterilized, in which women in their 20s discussed why they had undergone an operation to prevent them from ever having children. The article is little more than PR for a women's charity called Marie Stopes International, an organization that carries out abortions and sterilizations, and was founded by a Nazi eugenicist who advocated compulsory sterilization of non-whites and those of bad character. The story appears in a weekly magazine called Love It. One of the women featured in the article, Chloe, explains why she decided to have herself sterilized at the age of just 20. By the time I was 18, I knew I was never going to change. I couldn't imagine letting someone take over my body my whole life. I couldn't even look at a baby without feeling uncomfortable. Following the sterilization procedure, Chloe celebrates the fact that I've got a lifetime of going out ahead of me now, presumably meaning going out, 
getting mindlessly drunk and having sex with random strangers, as is British culture, while not having to worry about the risk of pregnancy or the responsibility of looking after a child. Despite admitting that she has not told any of her family, and not even her own mother, about the sterilization, the article ends with Chloe boldly stating that it was the most sensible adult decision I'll ever make. Another success story, as the article skews it, is Charlie McCann, who was sterilized on her 30th birthday and, we read, is happy with her choice, insisting the men in her life have to adjust. Her then-boyfriend decided to adjust by ending the relationship because he couldn't bear never having children. Ironically, another woman speaks about how she first became interested in the idea of being sterilized after reading about the subject in a woman's magazine. Jacqueline Arnold tells of how she felt irritation at the sight of children playing in a garden and decided to go ahead with the operation, which is described in routine and straightforward terms. Arnold says she has no regrets and has taken control of her life. Sterilization is lauded as an excellent method of birth control by Dr. Patricia Lohr of the British Pregnancy Advisory Service. The article includes an advertisement that encourages women to seek more information about sterilization by contacting Marie Stopes International. We read that over the past year, a quarter of the women who booked a sterilization consultation with women's charity Mary Stopes were aged 30 or under. Marie Stopes was a feminist who opened the first birth control clinic in Britain in 1921, as well as being a Nazi sympathizer and a eugenicist who advocated that non-whites and the poor be sterilized. Stopes, a racist and an anti-Semite, campaigned for selective breeding to achieve racial purity, a passion she shared with Adolf Hitler in adoring letters and poems that she sent the leader of the Third Reich. Stopes also attended the Nazi Congress on Population Science in Berlin in 1935 while calling for the compulsory sterilization of the diseased drunkards, or simply those of bad character. Stopes acted on her appalling theories by concentrating her abortion clinics in poor areas so as to reduce the birth rate of the lower classes. Stopes left most of her estate to the Eugenic Society, an organization that shared her pas passion for racial purity and still exists today under the new name the Galton Institute. The society has included members such as Charles Galton Darwin, grandson of the evolutionist, Julian Huxley, and Margaret Sanger. Ominously, the Galton Institute website promotes its support and funding initiative for the practical delivery of family planning facilities, especially in developing countries. In other words, the same organization that once advocated sterilizing black people to achieve racial purity in the same vein as the Nazis is now bankrolling abortions of black babies in the third world. While the issue of abortion is an entirely different argument, most would agree that no matter how extreme it sounds, a woman has the right to sterilize herself if she so chooses, just as a man has the right to a vasectomy. But when a magazine aimed primarily at young women all but encourages girls as young as 20 to have their fallopian tubes tied in order to prevent the irritation of children entering their lives, and then advertises an organization founded by a Nazi eugenicist that can perform the operation, something has to be amiss. End quote.
That is an excellent and important article, and I would suggest that you go and read it in its entirety from PrisonPlanet.com by following the link from the documentation section of today's episode. And I also strongly advise my listeners to go and take a look at the Galton Institute website, formerly the Eugenics Society, to see the face of the enemy. This is a website that lauds eugenics, eugenicists, and eugenics history and tries to promote these ideas in the current day and age. The same names, the same faces that have been involved in this for, for over a century, and which we've highlighted on this podcast numerous times in the past, are involved in the Galton Institute. For those who might be joining this podcast for the first time, or who haven't heard the relevant previous episodes on this subject, and thus don't know why this institute would be called the Galton Institute, might I suggest that you type Darwin Wedgwood Galton into a search engine and start to go down the eugenics rabbit hole. Again, this is part of a planned population reduction with a specific goal, and it is being promoted by the same people who helped promote and support the Third Reich, the Nazi eugenicists got their ideas from British scientists and American robber barons, and the same families that were involved in eugenics back 100 years ago are involved in it today for the same reasons. Ultimate power, total control, and the assurance that their bloodlines will reign over our bloodlines for the rest of human history. This is such a vast topic that it cannot possibly be encapsulated in a single podcast episode or a single article, but if there is any article that comes close to capturing the extent and the scope of what's behind this population reduction agenda, it is the following must-read article from PrisonPlanet.com from June 26, 2009, The Population Reduction Agenda for Dummies. The elite agenda for global population control is not a conspiracy theory. It is on the record and documented. Quote, There are still large numbers of people amongst the general public, in academia, and especially those who work for the corporate media, who are still in denial about the on-the-record stated agenda for global population reduction, as well as the consequences of this program that we already see unfolding. We have compiled a compendium of evidence to prove that the elite have been obsessed with eugenics and its modern-day incarnation, population control, for well over 100 years, and that the goal of global population reduction is still in full force to this day. The world's elite are discussing population reduction. As was reported only last month by the London Times, a secret billionaire club meeting in early May, which took place in New York and was attended by David Rockefeller, Ted Turner, Bill Gates, and others, was focused around how their wealth could be used to slow the growth of the world's population. We questioned establishment media spin, which portrayed the attendees as kind-hearted and concerned philanthropists, by pointing out that Ted Turner has publicly advocated shocking population reduction programs that would cull the human population by a staggering 95%. He has also called for a communist-style one-child policy to be mandated by governments in the West, 
In China, the one-child policy is enforced by means of taxes on each subsequent child, allied to an intimidation program which includes secret police and family planning authorities kidnapping pregnant women from their homes and performing forced abortions. Of course, Turner completely fails to follow his own rules on how everyone else should live their lives, having five children and owning no less than two million acres of land. In the Third World, Turner has contributed literally billions to population reduction, namely through United Nations programs, leading the way for the likes of Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett. Gates' father has long been a leading board member of Planned Parenthood and a top eugenicist. The notion that these elitists merely want to slow population growth in order to improve health is a complete misnomer. Slowing the growth of the world's population while also improving its health are two irreconcilable concepts to the elite. Stabilizing world population is a natural byproduct of higher living standards, as has been proven by the stabilization of the white population in the West. Elitists like David Rockefeller have no interest in slowing the growth of world population by natural methods. Their agenda is firmly rooted in the pseudoscience of eugenics, which is all about culling the surplus population via draconian methods. David Rockefeller's legacy is not derived from a well-meaning philanthropic urge to improve health in third world countries. It is born out of a Malthusian drive to eliminate the poor and those deemed racially inferior using the justification of social Darwinism. As is documented in Alex Jones's seminal film Endgame, Rockefeller's father, John D. Rockefeller, exported eugenics to Germany from its origins in Britain by bankrolling the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, which later would form a central pillar in the Third Reich's ideology of the Nazi superior race. After the fall of the Nazis, top German eugenicists were protected by the Allies as the victorious parties fought over who would enjoy their expertise in the post-war world. As Dr. Len Horowitz writes, in the 1950s, the Rockefellers reorganized the U.S. eugenics movement in their own family offices with spin-off population control and abortion groups. The Eugenics Society changed its name to the Society for the Study of Social Biology, its current name. The Rockefeller Foundation had long financed the eugenics movements in England, apparently repaying Britain for the fact that British Capital and an Englishman partner had started old John D. Rockefeller out in his oil trust. In the 1960s, the Eugenics Society of England adopted what they called crypto-eugenics, stating in their official reports that they would do eugenics through means and instruments not labeled as eugenics. With support from the Rockefellers, the Eugenics Society of England set up a subcommittee called the International Planned Parenthood Federation, which for 12 years had no other address than the Eugenics Society. This, then, is the private international apparatus which has set the world up for a global holocaust under the UN flag. In the latter half of the 20th century, eugenics merely changed its face to become known as population control. This was crystallized in National Security Study Memorandum 200, a 1974 geopolitical strategy document prepared by Rockefeller's intimate friend and fellow Bilderberg member Henry Kissinger, which targeted 13 countries for massive population reduction by means of creating food scarcity, sterilization, and war. The document, declassified in 1989, identified 13 countries that were of special interest to U.S. geopolitical objectives 
and outlined why population growth, and particularly that of young people, who were seen as a revolutionary threat to U.S. corporations, was a potential roadblock to achieving these objectives. The countries named were India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Nigeria, Mexico, Indonesia, Brazil, the Philippines, Thailand, Egypt, Turkey, Ethiopia, and Colombia. The study outlined how civil disturbances affecting the smooth flow of needed materials would be less likely to occur under conditions of slow or zero-growth population. The document called for integrating family planning, otherwise known as abortion, with routine health services for the purpose of curbing the numbers of LDC people, lesser developed countries. The report shockingly outlines how withholding food could be used as a means of punishment to lesser developed countries who do not act to reduce their population, essentially using food as a weapon for a political agenda by creating mass starvation in underdeveloped countries. The allocation of scarce PL-480 food resources should take account of what steps a country is taking in population control as well as food production, states the document. Later in the document, the idea of enforcing mandatory programs by using food as an instrument of national power is presented. End quote. I'll skip over some of the very important information about vaccines as methods of sterilization in lesser developed countries and come to a later section of the article which deals with what we were just talking about, the Marie Stopes propaganda about sterilization for women under 30. And the article again starts to talk about Marie Stopes. Quote, As we highlighted at the time, respondents to a Daily Mail article about Royal Mail honoring Marie Stopes by using her image on a commemorative stamp were not disgusted at Royal Mail for paying homage to a racist Nazi eugenicist, but were merely keen to express their full agreement that those deemed not to be of pure genetic stock of the approved character should be forcibly sterilized and prevented from having children. A lot of people should be sterilized, IMO. It's still true today, wrote one. Just imagine what a stable, well-ordered society we'd have if compulsory sterilization had been adopted years ago for the socially undesirable, states another respondent, calling for a satellite-carried sterilization ray to be installed in space to zap the undesirables. Shockingly, another compares sterilization and genocide of those deemed inferior to the breeding and culling of farmyard animals and says that such a move is necessary to fight overpopulation and global warming. The nature of these comments is so fundamentally sick and twisted that one is tempted to dismiss them as a joke. But these people are deadly serious. Presumably they would also agree with China's one-child policy, which is routinely enforced by intimidation as young pregnant women are grabbed off the streets by state goons and taken to hospitals where forced abortions are carried out. Now, with popular women's magazines advising women in their 20s where they can go to be sterilized and ensure a lifetime of partying and carefree sex, it's no surprise that experts predict that by 2010, one in four Western women will be child-free for life. The yearning to have children is the most beautiful, natural, and innate emotion either a man or a woman can possibly experience. That is not to say that it's always wrong for some people not to have children. Extreme circumstances can justify such a decision. But to have yourself sterilized because you find your children to be an irritant and want to live a life free of responsibility or consequences is an awful message 
to send to young women, especially in the sex-saturated entertainment culture that we are now forced to endure. End quote. Again, I can't even begin to recommend strongly enough this Rosetta Stone article. I've only read a tiny fraction of the article, and it goes into much greater length about the on-the-record comments by people like Eric Pianca, who wants 90% of the world to die in some great disease pandemic. And, by the way, he is a noted biologist at the University of Texas. The article talks about the Tuskegee group, the irradiation of 100,000 Sephardic Jewish children, the on-the-record statements by Prince Philip and others about the goal of reducing the human population, the involvement of UNESCO, and much, much else besides. It is an extremely important article, and I exhort each and every one of my listeners to find that article from the documentation list for today's episode and email it out to everyone you know. In a practical sense, what can we do with this information? Dismantling the institutions that have been lovingly crafted by these racist, eugenicist scum over a period of decades will, of course, take decades of diligent action on the part of political activists informing others, building communities of like-minded people, and using the strength of numbers to set up counter-institutions to these eugenicist institutions. Of course, this is work that will take decades and is very intimidating. People often are looking for the magic bullet that all at once is going to solve all of these problems. But, of course, such a magic bullet does not exist, and the search for that magic bullet is often used as a way to stop people from actually taking action themselves. Well then, I leave it to you to start forming the political movement that will eventually defeat these eugenicists. But, as a final thought, I'd like to point out that, of course, on a basic personal level, the most important, the most sacred, the most time-honored right that we all have as human beings is the right to decide to bring a new life into this world. And once we cede that right, we have ceded everything. Every time a baby is born, a little piece of the New World Order dies. And it is a beautiful thing. That's it for this week. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me once again for this episode of The Corbett Report, and reminding you that we will be going on summer hiatus until mid to late August. But I assure you, we'll be coming back bigger and stronger than ever with a brand new info bomb that will be the largest info bomb I have ever dropped. So please keep your eye on the website in August. Until then, take care and enjoy your summer. So you're having a baby Why wasn't I told?